Hey guys, Binabu presents the MedTech podcast. If you're intrigued and want to learn more about how technology is changing healthcare, then this podcast is perfect for you. If you want to learn about entrepreneurship and innovation, then stick around. My name's Ash, and welcome to the conversation. Welcome back to the MedTech podcast. I'm really excited to introduce Dr. Harvinder Power. He is the CEO and founder of Motix, which is an innovative platform that gamifies physiotherapy to improve patient adherence to exercise and increase and enhance recovery outcomes. Dr. Harvinder, it is really great to have you. And I guess before I start off the episode and let you introduce yourself, first, I just want to say happy Vasaki as well. It was obviously Vasaki on Friday, so <laughs> yeah. I hope you had a great weekend. And yeah, so please Thank introduce you. yourself and just tell the listeners who you are. Thank you very much and, and happy Misaki to, to yourself and anyone else who's listening too. So yeah, so my name is Harvinder. I'm co-founder and CEO of Motix. Motix really is focusing on improving the state of physiotherapy. So improving adherence to physiotherapy and basically helping patients to improve recovery after injury is what we're really going for. Now we started, wow, 2019. So quite a few years ago while I was still in med school. Pre-pandemic as well. It was really yeah, quite a while when you think about it, right? Yeah. The pre-COVID days is what we describe them as now, when life was so much easier. But uh, yeah, so we were inspired by a personal story. So one of my dad, and he had to do physiotherapy at home. So he was doing he had uh, sciatica, so a really common condition. But uh, he wasn't doing his exercises at all. So we started thinking, how can we make it better? How can we help him to do his exercises? How can we get him doing it so that he basically reduces his pain? Right, gets back to life as normal. So we started with a very simple premise of how can we help someone with a very simple problem just to stick with the regimen. And then we went into a rabbit hole of just discovering how, how interesting and common, how detailed physiotherapy is, both from a medical perspective, from a psychological perspective, and from a patient perspective. There's so many different facets to it that really have to all be addressed to, to fix the underlying problem. And here we are four years later, we're still in that journey of building a solution to solve that problem. And we've learned a lot of the way. We've gone from a very different product to what we have now, where we're looking at computer vision. And we're now focusing on actually scaling up to getting more patients, more pilots, more clinics, and more physiotherapists. We're in a nice spot where we're starting to grow and we've got the right team behind us and our product's starting to look in good shape. Yeah, sounds great. And you definitely are transforming the physiotherapy landscape. I've been seeing more and more, you've been quite active over LinkedIn just in terms of presenting, for example, the MedTech UCL, which is MedTech societies around the country. And naturally that's led me to look you up and look into Motix and I can see you guys doing really well. If I'm not mistaken, you're on your third cohort now of testing. So I think with Motix, I specifically relate to gamifying physiotherapy because I broke my arm when I was probably about eight eight or so quite young mm. and it was a really bad break actually so i ended up damaging my ulnar nerve in my left arm luckily i've pretty much recovered most of my sensation and power but my grip strength in my left arm isn't as good as my right and i had to go undergo a lot of physiotherapy exercise and i just remember how boring as an eight-year-old how tedious they used to be having to yeah. know, squeeze a ball just sit there for like however long and do these weird exercises and i was like i really don't want to be doing this right now and so it's Absolutely. great that you're working on a solution to make that more interactive and a bit more fun. And so tell me a bit more about your personal story. So you obviously mentioned your father's struggles and which yeah. led you to 
finding that problem, realizing there was no solution out there and, and building your own. But where did that initial idea of gamifying physiotherapy come from? Yeah, it's a really interesting moment. In fact, we've actually got it on video where I remember coming home actually one weekend from uni, just a study break. And I was just coming home to see my parents, just have some dinner and then go back to uni. And I came back and I just went into the living room just to go watch some TV. And I basically saw something I never expected to see, which is that my dad had actually taken the old Nintendo Wii that we had out of the loft that we had set it up on the TV himself and was using it to play Wii Bowling. And he was using that as a way to help stretch his legs out. As he described, he said, it's always my form of exercise. And I was almost shocked because this is a guy who was very stoic, lovely person, but never tends to talk about his problems, just tends to push through them on. But he basically found that what worked for him was to set, play this game, play the Nintendo Wii, played it every other day and found that it helped him stretch and loosen up his muscles and helped with his pain. And it helped to really get the gears thinking about how can we use simple gamification methods to really drive adherence because it's shown that we can talk about the evidence all day long, but gamification does work fundamentally. We know that it works. And it works for lots of different reasons, both tapping into the competitive elements of the human psyche, but also because it's fun and it distracts people from the pain that they're going through with physiotherapy. Like I'm sure that you might have had a similar experience when you were younger, right? You might have been in a lot of pain. And that's the key element is actually we use gamification as a really simple method to just almost take someone away from the current situation they're in, where they may be in pain, they may be struggling, there may be a lot going on in their life at that moment, and just put them in a situation where all they're doing is playing a game. They've got a very simple task, and they're basically just trying to achieve that with the movements they're doing. And by doing that, we try and improve their recovery. So we focus on the exercises that they need to be doing and use those as movements in the game. Yeah. And... How, I guess with South Asians in general, myself coming from mm. Punjabi household, I know my grandparents, they are very, as you said, stoic in their ways. Their form of exercise will be sitting in front of the TV doing like breathing exercises. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you know the man they watch on the TV where it's like in and out breathing exercise and they'll do that and then tell me to join in with them. And that's their <laughs> idea of doing exercise. So how was it, see, how in that realization, seeing actually, you know, I might be on something here, watching your dad pl- play the Nintendo we pick it up and start doing exercises. Mm. Where did you go through next in terms of starting to develop this idea now? Yeah, I'll be honest with you. At that moment, it hadn't really processed in my head properly. It was only when I was looking back that I really thought about that as being the pivotal moment. It was only really when we started doing, when I started doing other work. So I was actually in my fourth year in medical school doing an integrated year of bioengineering. And I got really into the weeds, really exposed to brand new technologies, including new hardware tech that was available at the time, lots of different software approaches. And I remember very distinctly, we were doing a hackathon and we had this idea on a, over a weekend to focus on stroke rehabilitation because fundamentally stroke rehabilitation is something that we haven't really touched upon as, as a global industry. And it's now only starting to be picked up on in the last few years where patients are going through physio for a very long time and the outcomes at the end of it are significantly better than when they came in some forms of physio, it's all pain relief. Stroke rehab, it's really functional benefits, and that's what we're focusing on. And so that's when we thought about, okay, how can we improve stroke stroke rehabilitation or physiotherapy at that time? And we did quite well, the hackathon, and we thought, okay, let's take this further forwards. And we started thinking about, actually, is that the entire scope of the problem? Is it just stroke physiotherapy? Is that all we can do? And I remember a few people saying, why not think a bit bigger? 
while I think about physiotherapy and actually the entire industry. And of course, we can't change every single tiny little spot of physiotherapy, but the broad strokes is the same, right? A lot of physiotherapy is movement driven, exercise that you do at home, and over time they accrue and give you a benefit over time. So we started thinking, okay, how can we do this? How can we really provide a benefit? And we started off with the hardware. So that was our first initial thesis. And we actually built out a really expensive bit of hardware, built it all ourselves in-house. It worked really well, but it was so expensive that we couldn't really scale it. And over time, we started to think a bit more and more about actually who are we trying to sell to? Like fundamentally, who are we trying to help? And it was only really when I came back to my dad as, a, as an example that we really thought about, okay, this is the average person, right? In his 60s, got pains, needs to do exercises, help him recover. And we started thinking about, okay, is he going to pay a thousand pounds for a piece of hardware that he's going to use for a few months and then probably never use again? Not really. And so we started to think about, look, what's realistic, what's sustainable, and what helps patients recover? And that's really helped to be almost a north star for us as we go forward and to where we are today. And for anyone out there who, I guess, hasn't heard of the term gamification before and must be thinking, how can it, this new term be used to increase patient adherence and engagement? Could you maybe break it down and explain what gamification is and how it's, it's different to the traditional method of physiotherapy? Absolutely. So starting with that traditional method, in fact, I'd love to learn about your experiences. Do you remember much about it? What did you have to do at the time? So yeah, so I broke my arm and I remember it being a very bad break initially. So I had basically completely lost my sensation in the region of the ulnar nerve, the pinky finger and half mm. of this finger next to it. And I couldn't wiggle the, these two fingers and as a result lost grip, grip strength. And I remember going in, it was quite a long time ago, but first and this was cons consultation was just checking how much power I actually had in my hand and where the sensation was. And then it was building up and working on these exercises to increase grip strength and keep increased forearm strength. And it was then they'd give me a piece of paper with these exercises. I'd go home a couple of weeks later, they'd get me to do those exercises, assume I'd done those exercises over those couple of weeks and then get me to come back for a follow-up review, test me again. And then this going back and forward where a couple of weeks I'd see a, a physiotherapist, sometimes a different physiotherapist yeah. and have to explain to them again, this, the whole situation. So very, it was very, what's the best word to describe it? Very disconnected almost. You're going home and then you're almost siloed off in your own little bubble until you then go back to your follow-up consultation. I'm not sure if it's still like that. Maybe you could, yeah, talk about how it is at the moment. It very much is. And this is the interesting thing. When we did a bit of a, a deep dive on the history of physiotherapy, more as just a thought experiment to see what's changed over the years, what the innovations have been. You can trace it back to the Greek ages in terms of exercises for recovery and then regular check-ins. That sort of approach has not changed. And that's really interesting to see that in almost 1,500, 2,000 years, really not much has changed, right? We're still just doing exercises, helping someone recover some function, checking in every so often, making sure they're progressing and then pushing them down the line a bit further. We want to see that improve. We want to make sure that physiotherapy isn't left behind because we're seeing so many advances in the medical field from heart disease to strokes to all sorts of other weird and wacky and wonderful diseases as well. We want to make sure that physiotherapy is also brought forwards because it is such an important part of bodily health. 
And as an example, most of GP conditions are actually musculoskeletal, right? It's up to a third in some cases. And so a lot of it is due to poor adherence. And that's the key driver is poor adherence to physiotherapy. So not sticking with your regimen, which I think you beautifully highlighted is that the physio is just going to trust that you're doing these exercises because they don't have the time to, to keep telling you to keep doing them. So it's really the onus is on you. And there's lots of different drivers for why patients don't do exercises. One being pain that we've talked about. Another, not seeing the benefits. And that's the second biggest reason is actually that over a few days, you may not see any benefits. And you may then just say, okay, I've done exercises for two or three days. I've not seen any benefits. I'm just going to call it. I just don't want to do it. It's not worth it. Now, in reality, we all know that actually it's a much longer process. So it needs time, it needs effort, and you need to just think about the bigger picture. So where were you when you started? Where are you now? Where are you going? And gamification really fits into that because it really distracts you from the day-to-day and the mundanity and almost just boredom of doing physiotherapy at the moment, which is very much just, as you rightly said, that sheet of paper, do 10 exercises, 10 leg lifts, up, down, that's it, you're done. Do it again tomorrow. And who's that fun for, really? Who's really enjoying that? No one. And very simply, if we do nothing else, we're just improving the experience. Because by improving the experience, we improve adherence. Yeah. By improving adherence, we improve recovery. By improving recovery, we then stop patients needing to go see the GP again and actually reduce them going to A&E in some cases. For example, with neck of femur repair, what we often see for those with dynamic hip screw, any other hip replacement, if you don't do the physiotherapy, you're more likely to have a fall and you have a much worse fall in the future than a periprosthetic fracture and you're back into hospital again. So physiotherapy is so important that in many ways, I think it's been overlooked by many or just left to someone else to do. But for us, it's a big mission and something that we really want to focus on addressing. Yeah, and it's exciting stuff because obviously gamification as well at the moment, there's, you know, there's tons of evidence coming out about how effective it is in increasing patient adherence. And so I want to get onto the technology now, explain it to me, break it down and how, and how this is used to then translate in, in a gamified app. Absolutely. As I said, we initially built our hardware completely in-house. We have recently, in the last year or so, then moved over to custom hardware with a provider that we worked with, who were great. But actually, even since then, in the last two months, we've now pivoted again. What we've been learning is that actually the hardware is still fundamentally very expensive and that now more than ever, we need to try and cut costs because as we're seeing the cost of living crisis, people just fundamentally can't afford to have that much expenditure. They can't afford to spend lots of money on expensive technologies, even if it is for their own health in some cases, because the situation is just that bad. So that's what we've learned. And we've obviously heard what our customers, what our patients, what our physios have been saying. And so we built out a new solution, which is actually now our main solution, which is computer vision using artificial intelligence to look at body posture using your phone camera and use that to measure your movements as you do them. And this is great because actually it allows us to look at the whole body in the same image and it allows us to look at movement as a whole. So rather than just an isolated joint, we can look at the entire body side, the entire system, kinetic chain and how it's moving and use that data and basically from predictive analytics to see how it's improving over time and which exercise are having the best benefit for you as you go forwards. So what we do is basically put key points on each of the key joints of the body and we basically track them in real time. So as you do your exercises, we see how they're moving. Do they fit the right pattern for a certain exercise? And if not, how can we improve them and how can you do that exercise properly? 
So that's what we've moved over to. We found that it's much better, it's much cheaper, and it's got the same value as our hardware really did. Nice. And how are you guys addressing the fact that traditionally you get given a piece of paper, these exercises to do, and you then go away on your own for a couple of weeks, and then only then, after a couple of weeks, you get checked up on. How are you addressing the fact that during yeah. that time, the patient could be doing anything? Absolutely, and we've got to look at why that is. The biggest challenge of physiotherapy at the moment is the burden, the burden of workload, which we know, as I'm sure you know as well in the medical space, it's that there are more patients than ever, and the workload is higher than ever for the same amount of working professionals. Now, physiotherapy is even more interesting because in the last year, post-COVID, 22, there was a 15% drop in the workforce. This is publicly available data. Looking at the number of physiotherapists practicing in the UK, showed there was a drop in 15%. Now, at the same time, the number of patients is still rising. So now you've got fewer physiotherapists in the last few years and more patients than ever before. All of them need physiotherapy. All of them need checkups. But how can we do that? How can we enable that in a way that makes sense? So what we thought about is how can we reduce the workload in a way that is sustainable and safe ultimately? And what we've now worked on is actually enabling an automated approach to these mild to moderate cases of physiotherapy. Those with shoulder pains, simple back pains that are simply managed and have benign pathologies. And what we do is look at the data and analyze it and look at how many times people are doing sessions. So if they're not doing a session for over two weeks, we'll keep prompting them. We'll just say, hey, you need to do physiotherapy because otherwise if you don't do it, things aren't going to get any better. And we very simply run basic automated systems to keep people sticking with their regimens. And if they're not working, we obviously then flag them up to the physiotherapist and they can obviously review them as they go forwards. So a lot of it is really about shifting the burden away from more and more data for the physios, but actually automating their pipeline, helping them to manage more with less. And in terms of piloting and testing now, how effective is this showing in comparison to the traditional methods? Great question. At the moment, we're still running our pilot, so it's hard for us to definitively say, because we've got pilot study three currently running, and at the moment we're focused on ACL rehab, so we've got some clinics working with us, based in London, I could say, and uh, what we're looking at essentially is the recovery time. So we're very much focused on the data we're getting and are we showing improvements over time compared with people who aren't doing, aren't using our platform. So what we're seeing at the moment is that we've got positive feedback, people like the platform, the data has been useful for them. We still need to crunch the numbers and see what the data outcomes really show. In the first two pilots, we had good numbers saying that we're basically looking at improving recovery times but we weren't able to quantify exactly how much just yet. It's all predictive. So in this pilot, we hope to narrow that down a bit more. Sure. And I looked at your website a couple of weeks ago and I looked at it <laughs> yesterday. Has it changed? Yeah. You recently launched a new landing page, which looks great, might I say. Thank yeah. you, yeah. Designed, yeah, we did all of that in-house, luckily. It has changed, very well noticed. We actually stealth launched it out without telling anyone because we're actually planning a, a much larger launch, but uh, to be honest, we just said we've got much bigger things to do at the moment. Let's just get out there and continue building. Yeah. yeah and you find this happens so. a lot with these startups. It's like we just yeah. launch products because we just don't have time to announce it. We just, just launch it, it and move forward to next yeah. products. Yeah. yeah, great. And so you put on the website this new landing page that you're obviously expanding, looking to partner with more healthcare providers and more clinics. So tell me a bit about strategies that you're using to promote Motix now to a broader audience as you're scaling up the company. 
Yeah, so at the moment, we take a very hands-on approach. So that would include us, myself or Selena, actually going to the clinic. We go, we speak to them, we learn what their setup is, we see some of their patients, we get time. We want to understand what their situation is, because a lot of clinics differ. Some of them will be very small clinics run by even a family in some cases, a couple of people. Some are much bigger. They've got 10, 20, 30 clinics across the UK managed by a single person. So we need to understand who are we working with, the people, their setup, what constraints they have. And it's a very tailored approach. So each clinic will have a different amount of support we're able to give them based on that. And we get to understand what's really most valuable for them. For some of them will be the data. The very high-end clinics really want to see the granular numbers, specific metrics of recovery. For some of the others, they want to get that competitive edge of getting more patients in by having newer products by a tech-enabled platform. And for some, it's just to enable fast recovery, a way of communicating with patients at home. And we can basically deliver any one of those three, but we need to understand what matters most to the clinics that we work with. Yeah. And how does the business model work? So how are you, if there's any healthcare professionals, physiotherapies, therapists listening out there and want to yeah. integrate Motix into their practice, how does it work? Awesome. Firstly, drop me an email. <laughs> so arvinda.motix.co.uk. I'm always happy to have a chat and learn more. I love meeting physiotherapists. I find really interesting, like just to hear different views viewpoints as well. And basically the way we do it is very simple. So we go and visit a clinic, we learn more about what their setup is, what they're looking for, what how we can essentially provide value to them specifically. So very hands-on. And that's something that we've learned because initially we were very much just send an email do a Zoom call, set them up, maybe not even visit the clinic ever. And we learned very quickly that we just weren't getting the signal or the feedback that we really needed in that process. And so when we switched to visiting clinics and just taking the time to go and see them, things changed very quickly. We learned so much more about actually how patients are coming into the clinic, what their interactions look like, what the setup is of the clinic, what sort of kit do they have, do they need more kits, or do they want something else? And I think by learning that, it just gave us much more to work with. So much more feedback without even needing to ask questions. We just observed what was already there in their environment. So that was a big change for us. And so at the moment with physios, we've actually got a slightly different business model to many of our sort of capacitors out there. So rather than charging the physios, we actually charge patients. You know, ultimately our value is to patients. And Physiotherapy clinics can't afford to spend hundreds of thousands on expensive technologies. And we acknowledge that, we hear them. A lot of clinics that we've seen at the moment can afford a few bits of expensive tech, and that's enough. For us, the way we do it is we charge patients a monthly subscription. As long as you're using it, you pay for the platform. Once you're done, unsubscribe. Simple as. Sure. So in terms of wearables that you added in the past, have you completely gotten rid of the fact you're using wearable sensors now it's almost you're using the camera and it's, it's analyzing your movements and is that how it works am i correct in understanding so it's not patients are having to purchase their own wearables mm. absolutely so you don't need to purchase a wearable and we never wanted that to be our business model anyways because these pieces of kit are really expensive yeah the way we yeah. switched out now is that the computer vision is really our first approach that go to market to get in the hands of as many people as we can as we start to develop, we may come back to hardware when things are slightly cheaper, markets in a different state, and we're able to do that at scale. At the moment, though, just looking at the way things are in the broader market, it doesn't make sense. Not for us at our current stage, but we'd love to come back and do it later on. 
Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, so the term gamification is often used with the term incentivization. So what are the future plans for Motics? What do you have planned in the pipeline to make this even more an immersive, engaging experience? Do you have some forms of incentivization that you're working on with, this, with the Motics app? Yeah, great question. It could go in so many different directions. And I think that's the most fascinating thing about it. When it comes to incentivization, gamification, all of it is really focused on delivering an outcome. And that outcome is to get people to do their exercises and to recover faster, get back to life as normal, because really that's what we want for our patients. And that really can take many different forms. So for some, simple gamification works. For some, just understanding what their goals are and basically reward-driven psychology and getting them closer and closer to their goals is the best way to do it. It's something we're still learning. We don't have the answers to everything just yet, but it's something we're still discovering. And we've understood the importance of psychology in our platform as we go forwards. And that's something we're really building on as we continue to develop. Yeah, it's really exciting stuff. And you, the team at Moti, how many of you are there now? So myself and Selena, and we're looking to expand the team later on this year. Sure, and you mentioned already that almost you've had to seek feedback from all these different disciplinary areas for collaboration. So whether it is physiotherapists, whether it is psychologists, a development design. So tell me a bit about working as a CEO and working around that team for ultimately development of, of, of Motics. How has that been any advice for anyone who's in a similar situation as you and is a bit overwhelmed, thinks it's, it's a bit of a mess and they want to just streamline their thought process? A lot of it is listening and it's something you'll learn as you continue and something I continue to learn about is the importance of listening to a team, taking on feedback and then processing. It means that you don't need to take and act on every single bit of feedback as it's presented to you, but you should listen to it and process it and align it with, does this make sense for who we are? Does this make sense for what we're doing? And does this make sense for where we're going? And by doing that, it enables you to then synthesize the power of multiple people not just you, but many different thought processes, all combined to really give you the best outcome. I think a lot of starting you know, startup entrepreneurs and startup founders really think that they just have to have the single answer and that's it, you're done. I don't really subscribe to that philosophy that much. I tend to say that actually any company is a team game and really you need to create the best team to make it succeed. And that includes the culture, the ethos and the mission. What are you building? Why are you building it and why are you the team to make it happen? That's amazing advice there. And I think it'd be a good time now to get on to the future vision for the platform, right? Because mm -hmm. I saw you've won numerous multiple awards and been awarded multiple different funds and grants, which I saw recently actually on your LinkedIn, about two weeks ago, you announced that you'd recently won a grant. So congratulations. What's next in terms Thank of you. fundraising and now scaling the business? Yeah, so we're actively fundraising at the moment. So we're looking for investors. So if anyone wants to learn more, then obviously reach out to me on LinkedIn or via email. And essentially, we're looking to scale up testing and now starting getting clinics into pay partnerships. We've got a platform that's now ready to be launched out. Our patients are getting good feedback. Clinics with us at the moment are giving us good feedback. And we're looking to bring more people into the team. So we've gone to a state where we think we're in a good place. 
we're learning more day by day, obviously, as we continue to grow. And we need to grow the company a bit more to really help us to continue to scale and learn even more and build better product. Are you still practicing clinically? I am, yeah. This is a, it's always a good question. Yeah. I still do. I do on a locum basis. So I pick a few shifts every month just to keep me relevant and active, make sure that I've still got some sort of skills in the medical field and also keep me exposed to clinical problems. Yeah. So I start to see things through a slightly different lens now as a full time founder, where rather than just thinking, oh, I'm going to have to just get through this F1, F2, and then I can leave, it's now, okay, I'm coming here a couple of times a month. I see a problem. Can I fix it? Can I now do something in my day job that can actually help solve this problem? And I think it's been nice to think about it differently and to retrospect on it and think, okay, I've got an opportunity now to just see these problems, but don't have to live them on a day-to-day basis. What yeah. can I do about them? How can I solve them with the time and ability that I now have? And I quite like it. It's, it's been a nice change. Yeah, it sounds like a good balance, you know, having to deal with all the crap that's happening at the moment. In terms of, so I saw that you started the clinical entrepreneurship program, the NHS clinical entrepreneurship program at med school. So you initially started the company, I think it was fourth year med school. And so tell me yeah. a bit about balancing work in terms of setting up your own startup with the life as a med student. Because it must have been tough, right? It must have been challenging. You must have had some good time management strategies to be as to be in the place where you are at the moment. So maybe you can give us some words of wisdom for any students up there who are looking to start their entrepreneurship journey as well. I think more a very bad time management. In fact, it was more the opposite in that I basically, and I think this is true of most startups, is that time management is it's a mythical concept. <laughs> and when I was doing it, I remember very distinctly, we were at a weird phase where we needed money. We couldn't get investment, so we had to do competitions. It's the only way we could get money in. And so I remember very distinctly being at competitions the day before exams in some cases, or out of the country when I was meant to be in the middle of medical placements and I was ill, supposedly. And bless, everything went well. Passed exams, no problems, touch wood. But time management was a very interesting concept for me at med school. Luckily, I had really supportive tutors, mentors, everyone was great. Everyone was really pushing me on this journey. So it was really good to, to have that support. But uh, it wasn't easy. A lot of late nights, a lot of weekend work, a lot of times where I could have gone out, had a great time with friends, holidays, whatever. Chose to stay back, work on the company, work on med school, whatever. So I think, I think there's no real answer. And I really don't think there is because if you truly believe in a mission, it's really hard to stop yourself working on it 24-7. Yeah. Really hard. And I think we should allow ourselves to, to fall into a one-sided balance on occasion, as long as it's not forever. And obviously, it's a constant state of flux. Since the way I think about it now. Yeah. And I love that answer. I'm happy you actually said that time management is a myth because i can definitely relate to that it's almost like i'm mm. struggling to do the things i'm doing at the moment in terms of the podcast mm. and working on my own stuff with medical school and it was it almost makes me feel a bit better that coming from yourself saying that time is not really a thing you just have this vision get on with it but what do you think the university could be doing differently in terms of supporting students mm. like us because I've had numerous conversations with the Dean of Nottingham Medical School about providing some kind of support or dedicated free time for students who are working on their own innovations. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's a real challenge. And 
I can test I'm not an expert when it comes to managing a university at all. I think yeah. having been on that side of it, I think the way I did it was to use my Wednesday afternoons, like that sort of dedicated sports time, which I think is a big yeah. UK thing, isn't it? Yeah. And and using that time pretty well to to dedicate it to doing something else. I like sports, but I also I preferred building a company. That's what I was I wanted to do for a while. And using that time obviously as you can. And then a lot of it will just be hard graft, I think. I think it's challenging for university course leaders to really offer a lot more time for students to build other things. Whilst it's a great thing to do, they also need to get you through university. So they have their own mission and it's to help you in the same regard. Yeah. So I think I understand it from both sides where obviously people want to build products, people want to do amazing things, build awesome companies. And that's great. That's really admirable. But also if you're at university, you're there for a reason. So mm. some people are saying you drop out. Some people are saying continue. I think do whatever makes you happy. Do what you think you want to be doing in the next few years. If it means taking a step back from your university, fine, so be it. If you want to carry on, then again, fine. Yeah, great. Any words of wisdom, any challenges that you have been able to overcome? So obviously you had the pandemic and were able to get through that and you're thriving now, doing well at the moment. So what was the biggest challenge you faced in the past couple of years and how have you overcome it? Any advice you could give the listeners? Yeah, challenges. There's always going to be like a number of challenges for yeah, everyone. Yeah, no single one. But exactly, and for us, and for me personally, let's put it this way, it was thinking about my overall direction. Like, where do I want to go in the next five years, next 10 years? Who do I want to be as a person? And what impact do I want to have? And I got thinking about why I got into medicine in the first place. And fundamentally, that was to help people live healthier, happier lives. And then I thought about actually living as a doctor, it's a good life, no problems whatsoever. But actually, can I do more? Can I help more people to live happier, healthier lives? And really taking time away from it, I thought, look, obviously I've got this life now, I've got some skills that allow me to do more, to do different things in different ways. And I thought it'd be a waste of my sort of, a waste of not even talent, but a waste of opportunity more than anything to just be a doctor, to just live a sort of simple, stable career, which is nothing wrong with it, absolutely at all. But I've always wanted to do something awesome, something very different. And this for me is how I do that. This for me is how I be a little bit different, how I offer my take to the world. And I think everyone's got it. For some people, it'll be art, for some music, for some dance. Everyone's got something different. And I think it's a shame that some people think or don't have the opportunity to really show that to the world. And um, for me, I want to really be able to show that while I've got the chance. So yeah, here we are, four years later, still building a company. Yeah, that's great advice and words of wisdom there. And I think I, I drive almost, you don't want to, you say just being a doctor, but obviously being a doctor is in itself it's, a it's huge a good career. achievement. Yeah. But that, yeah, but that drive, wanting to do something beyond being a doctor, doing something more, changing changing almost the current system in place. It, I think it sums up what being an entrepreneur is about. You hear about a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs talking about this greater vision that they have and expecting more from themselves. So in yeah. addition to that, what do you think also makes a successful entrepreneur? 
Yeah. Just on that point that you've mentioned, so many medical students and doctors now have companies. Yeah. A silly number. It's amazing. It's actually awesome to see that entrepreneurship's really taken off in the medical community. And I think we need to applaud that fact as well, that a lot of interest is now starting in the medical space with startups. And it's something we could easily overlook, but I think it's something to be proud about and to, to applaud. But I think it says something about so medics in general as well. Just that I said on the previous episode that I think medics in general are some of the most hardworking, talented, driven individuals that there are because it takes a certain type of person to get through medical school, the grueling exams, where you can't be going out with your other non-medic friends. You have to have a night in and revise for the constant exams coming up. It takes a certain type of person. And so it's not surprising now that you have these group of people who are now branching out into the world of business and entrepreneurship and creating fascinating startups and fascinating companies that are really going to improve patient care. And it's exciting. And just, on, yeah, onto my question, I was going to ask you what, what do you think makes a successful entrepreneur? I know there's no no specific rule book or specific mm. guidelines, but in your experience, having you must have met a lot of successful founders. What are some of the, the things that you would say you have observed in them that you'd like to also take from them and into your own entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, I think so. The ones that are the most successful are the ones often from humble beginnings who basically need to succeed right who you know it's not just a nice to have thing the ones who are awesomely successful have grown up from very humble backgrounds and often families in interesting states but these guys are motivated they work harder than anyone in the room these people will not stop they are completely relentless and I think that's the biggest trait in many ways is that tenacity, relentless nature is what you sometimes need for it to happen. Because startups are hard, everyone knows they're hard, but it's actually that consistency, that ability to wake up in the morning and say, yeah, I'm going to build this, I'm going to make success, I'm going to do it again tomorrow. That's what separates people. And I think everyone, everyone can learn something from these kinds of people, just the commitment to a mission, to a singular focus that really makes it work. And there's a few people that he's bring to mind too, from personal life examples, but it's a, it's a singular focus and the ability to get up every morning and make a step, however big that step might be, it might be a small step today, a big step tomorrow, but make a step in the right direction and continue to step in that direction. These are the kinds of people that really succeed and do really well. Yeah. And I think as we close the podcast, is there any final words any last call of action for any students out there or junior doctors out there or anyone yeah. out there actually just looking to take that first step. They have an amazing idea and they want to take that first step into starting the company, but they don't know where to begin. It's a bit of a, it's a bit daunting. Any last thoughts or words of encouragement? Yeah. I think the simplest way of thinking about it is twofold. Do what makes you happy and do the best you can with what you have. And by that, I've got a, a different skill set, a different ability to do certain things. I think it's a crying shame if people don't necessarily make the most of that, do the best they can with what they have. It will be very different for every single person because some will have more and some will have slightly less. But by, by using the skills we have in the right ways, I think we can maximize our potential to, to help the world and to improve the world as we see it. And doing what you love, you know, this... Ask me five years ago and I might have just said, look, just focus on impact. 
but it's a long game, especially in entrepreneurship. It's not just a one, two year turnaround and you're done. You need to believe in what you're doing. So I say nowadays, do what you really believe in and what you love to do. What can you wake up on a cold day in December and just say, yeah, I love this. Doesn't matter what the weather's doing, doesn't matter what's happening in my life. I love what I'm doing and we're going to carry on doing it. So do what you love and try and maximize the impact you can have by doing that. That's what, that's the simplest advice that I can give. Yeah, it's simple, but it's perfect. Really great advice. And so having this, been a pleasure having you on the podcast and thank you so much for coming on so my pleasure if anyone wants to get in touch how can they do that you said you have linkedin so having the power yeah. what is your rotix email if you just want to plug that again of course yeah so you can reach out to me at harvinder.motix.co.uk great yeah so i've been great to have this conversation we should definitely stay in touch thank you so much for coming on sounds great my pleasure thanks